during uh, the week in church, so we'll be glad to do that as well. Just put in the offering plate when it comes by. Make mention of a few announcements on the back side of your bulletin. We have the schedule for the week. I like to call attention. We're having chicken pot pie for Wednesday night meal. I don't know. I just like that. Chicken pot pie, Wednesday night. So sign up for that and uh, join us on Wednesday at 5.30. We also have this week in your bulletin is the Annie Armstrong Week of Prayer for North American Missions. So take this home with you, and it has uh, a different missionary family to pray for each day of this week as we lift up our missionaries to the Lord in prayer as a congregation and as a denomination. Uh, Also want to remind you that one month... One month of Sundays from today is our rededication for the the roof and the light and the project in the Family Life Center. So April 2nd, we're going to have uh, a celebration of that and a, and a meal, so make sure to be a part of that and uh, join in as we rededicate that to the Lord. And then finally, March 25th is our Luau Dinner Theater fundraiser. It's barbecue. It's going to be delicious. It's $10 for adults, $5 for kids. There's all kinds of entertainment, and we want a packed house. So it's a, it's a mission trip and summer camp fundraiser for our, for our youth. We're doing some Hispanic ministry in Georgia as a mission trip, and we're going to camp in South Carolina. So the money will help go towards that. And please come. Please support uh, these trips and have a good time as well. So it's March 25th, $10, $5 for kids. You can get tickets in the church office. All of the youth families have tickets. I have tickets. If you have question finding tickets, we will help you out. So thank you for joining us in worship this day.
Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 3 and following. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment for, and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God, patient and kind and in control of all things. And God, we come to you this day acknowledging you and your sovereignty and acknowledging that we are welcoming your presence into this place of worship, and that you might be the very center of our thoughts, the very center of our hearts, the very center of our attention. And so God, we give you this day, we give you this service, and may it be to honor and glorify your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, 
As we stand together and sing hymn number three, uh, we read in this hymn that God is worthy of our worship and our praise, our reverence, our fear. He's just worthy of everything in all of us. And so as we stand and sing this morning, would you just lift your voices in praise to God today? Hymn number three. As we conclude our study of the book of Malachi today, one of the points that stands out in the prophecy is God's love for us. 
And what better way to demonstrate that love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what you hold are the symbols of the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God gave his all so that we could live. That's how much he loves us. I don't believe this side of eternity we can quite comprehend that love. But as we hold the symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, we have a remembrance, a place to go back to so that we might constantly be reminded of the sacrifice made for our sins. And so on the night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had broken it and blessed it, he gave it to his disciples and said, For as often as you eat this, remember me. Our Lord came to serve. And in so serving us, he gives to us life. And the very life rests in the blood. And so Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you drink it, remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, the scripture teaches, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Jesus is the light of the world, and he commissions us to take that light and to spread it and to spread his love, and to serve him until he returns. And, and the faithful of, of God will be taken with him as the king comes back and uh, returns for his followers and his faithful. So we're going to sing about the king coming back this morning. If you would turn to hymn number 194. This is the chorus from a very uh, familiar Gaither song with this title, The King is Coming. So would you stand as we sing this chorus together just one time, please?
pray. Heavenly Father, we read in 2 Corinthians what type of giver we must be. We should give from our heart, not out of compulsion, not reluctantly, but cheerfully. We pause at this time in our service and we ask that the gifts that will be shared today will be for the benefit of this church, for those who are in need, and our missionaries, the world abroad. For this prayer, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Shall we pray? Gracious and eternal God, giver of the light of the world, we bow before you this morning with thanksgiving and praise in our hearts for the opportunity to come before you, to recognize your sovereignty over us, and to remember that redemption comes through you. We are thankful for our opportunities to gather in this house of worship, to sing praises to your name, to listen for a word from you, and to gather in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For those who are not with us today, because of illness, we lift them before you. And pray, Father, that you will bring to them healing. But as we pray, we seek your will and your guidance. For we know that your plan for us, Father, is far greater than we could ever comprehend. And that plan begins in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you will bless our time here. That you will bless those, Father, who are in need of prayer. For whatever reason, Father. For emotional injury. For the loss of a loved one. For family difficulties. For all of those things, Father, that plague us as human beings. We seek your guidance. Your wisdom. And your strength. We are grateful for our missionaries, for those who give of themselves around the world to share in places, Father, that we have not been called to go and yet we have been called to minister through our prayers and through our giving as they reach people with the message of Christ. May we, Father, walk with them. We are thankful, Father, for the opportunities of service even in this house of worship. For those who give of themselves in teaching Sunday school. For those who give of themselves serving on the various teams and organizations. Help us, Father, to always recognize that what we do is totally dependent on you and for the sake of Jesus Christ. We're thankful, Father, for the power of your love to compel us to come before you. For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. I am not skilled to understand. Uh, it's from the old hymnal. Probably not familiar to most of you, but it tells the story of a sinner coming to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. We hope it's inspiring to each of you this morning. Mm-hmm. 
what God hath willed, what God hath planned, I only know at his right hand stands one who is my Savior. I take him at his word indeed, Christ died for sinners, this I read, and in my heart I find a need of him to be my Savior. That he should leave his place on high and come for sinful men to die, you count it strange. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Malachi chapter 3, verse 18, through the end of chapter 4, which is verse 6. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Between the hopeful beginning of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and the threatened curse of Malachi chapter 4 verse 6, we read the history of humanity. Among other things are the fall, the establishment of God's covenant people, slavery in Egypt, the exodus, God's laws, the promised land, the judges, Rebellion against God, divided kingdom, the exile, and finally the return from exile. An astute judge of history might estimate that the returnees would be humbled and yielded 
to God. After all, unbelief and revolt against God had sent them into captivity and Babylon. And only God's mercy had allowed them to return. Some did come back with a yielded, teachable heart. People like Nehemiah, Ezra, Malachi, and those who feared the Lord. For the most part, though, the Israelites remained as self-centered and rebellious as many Christians are today. Jan Davis, at 60, a professional parachutist, was base jumping when she fell to her death. Her husband, who was filming the jump, and several reporters were stunned when Davis crashed onto the rock. She was jumping off the 3,200-foot granite cliff El Capitan in Yosemite National Park, California, when her chute failed to open. She and the other jumpers knew that base jumping was illegal in Yosemite Park. The law was passed because six people and numerous others had been injured in Yosemite due to base jumping. The five jumpers, including Davis were protesting the park's restrictions by proving the sport is safe. They knew the law, but they deliberately chose to defy it. Davis paid for that disobedience with her life. In a similar way, many people think they can deliberately violate God's law. But eventually, like Those in Malachi's day, they learn sometimes the hard way that God's laws exist to protect us. Perhaps our rebellion is why we identify so well with Malachi's message. The Israelites lived in expectation of the Messiah and yet lived under crushing hardships. Challenged on every side by high taxes, hard times, and contempt for their beliefs, they grew lukewarm in their relationship with God. Their worship, half-hearted and lackadaisical. Their lives reflected the coldness of their hearts. They broke covenants with one another, treated fellow believers with disdain, and only went through the motions of formal religion. Divorce became an epidemic. They married pagans. They showed favoritism to the wealthy. They stopped tithing. And lack of funds forced many of the priests and temple workers to return to their farms. Behind the Israelites' religious indifference, internal injustice, impoverished circumstances, lay the fact that they no longer feared God. Some of our outward circumstances vary from theirs, but religious indifference, internal injustice, and impoverished circumstances lay the fact that they no longer and that we no longer fear God. Some of our outward circumstances vary from theirs, but religious indifference plagues us today as well. All was not lost for the Israelites, however. God still loved them and continued His part of the covenant with His people. A remnant, as in all ages, believed and stayed true to God. The last Old Testament prophet closed the last prophetic book of the Old Testament with the sentence, Otherwise I will come and strike the land with a curse. 
The day of the Lord will reveal the difference between those who serve God and those who do not. Verse 18 of chapter 3. The word otherwise indicates our clear choice concerning that day. What we choose here determines our place in eternity. Malachi's here still could choose and so can we. And that is the grace of God. To give people an opportunity to do what is right in His sight. To give people the opportunity to come to the realization that they need to repent. It's difficult for us to see clearly so many times because the picture is dulled for us by Satan's attempts to keep us thinking that everything is okay, that we're okay, that it's okay to give lip service to God. It's okay to just go through the motions and not do what is necessary to be committed to God. As we have said time and time again, In this book, the people were fooling themselves, but they were not fooling God. We see very clearly in this passage of Scripture that the wicked who do not serve God, eternal judgment awaits. The Hebrew Bible shows only three chapters in Malachi. It continues chapter 3 until the end of the book. The last verse of chapter 3 of our English Bible states a premise you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. It's an easy distinction to make. Remember in the New Testament when it speaks of separating the sheep from the goats? Have you ever seen a field full of sheep and then seen goats mixed in? It's easy to pick them out. It's not difficult to see. And we can see very clearly here what God is saying to the people through his prophet Malachi. I will be able to separate the righteous from the wicked. It was a problem that many of the prophecies dealt with, wasn't it? We know Habakkuk questioned why it was that the righteous would suffer and the wicked would prosper. And God came to him with the understanding that your faith is what determines your walk with God. These people had lost faith. They had lost faith in God because of their lack of faith in doing what God had called them to do. And we fall prey to the same thing. We listen to so many voices that we fail to hear the one that is loud and clear. Repent and come to me. Verse 18 of chapter 3 records Malachi's response to the criticisms made against the Lord in verse 17 of chapter 2 and verses 14 14 and 15 of chapter 3. Skeptics had complained that it made little difference whether one served God or not since he didn't distinguish between those who do and those who do not serve him. Malachi's answer was on the day I am preparing the distinction would be made. Just as Mordecai received no honor until King Xerxes read the records, then granted him a full reward, so on the day of Christ appearing, those in Christ will receive their reward. People will be able to see the difference on the day of the Lord. But that day will not be a happy day for everyone. Chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 explains why Malachi's proud listeners would see a difference between the righteous and the wicked. 
2 Peter 3.10 elaborates further on the day of the Lord. The heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. On that day, all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble, the scripture says. Stubble is chaff that burns easily, the worthless stem and trash remaining of a plant after the grain is picked. The coming day will consume them. In ancient Israel, most homes had a homemade clay oven outside the home. Don't think of it as our modern oven, but of a small rounded clay mound with plaster on the sides. Chaff or straw would be placed in the oven and burn. When the walls in the top of the clay mound got sufficiently hot, a flat cake of bread would be stuck against it and quickly cooked. On the coming day of the Lord, the faithless will be burned as chaff in an oven, totally consumed, not leaving them root or branches. Jesus used the same metaphor when he spoke of the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow. We also know that other passages reference the brevity of life in this way. James says, what is life but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away? Or like the grass of the field that is here today and gone tomorrow. If we are building kingdom stuff, then we will see our reward. If we are building for ourselves, then it will be burned up as chaff is in a clay oven. The scripture is very clear. The righteous will serve God. The coming day will not only remove the wicked, but will also heal the righteous. You who fear my name. To fear God doesn't mean, and we've spoken of this several times, to cower in a corner afraid any move might be the wrong one. To fear God means to respect Him, to reverence Him, and to turn away from sin. This includes allowing Jesus to rule as Lord over our lives. And in verses 16 and 17, we read of the reward for the righteous, the son of righteousness, S-U-N, will rise with healing in its wings. Malachi may have learned his son imagery from Isaiah 61 through 3. That passage states, the light of God's glory would dawn on his people to dispel their darkness and expel their sorrow. Isaiah repeated This idea again, your sun will no longer set and your moon will not fade for the Lord will be your everlasting light and the days of your sorrow will be over. You see, the idea of light and darkness, a theme that's picked up in the New Testament, Jesus said that he is the light of the world and in him is no darkness. John said, the light has come and the people did not receive it. Light has a tendency to show us things that we normally wouldn't see in the dark. As I was thinking about light and darkness, it's a common theme throughout the scripture. I was walking through the bedroom the other morning and it was dark. Now, I know the way around my bedroom, so I also know that I have a bruised leg for time and time again hitting the uh, foot of the bed. So every time that it's dark and I'm walking in the bedroom because I've learned that it hurts and it takes a while for it to heal and 
People wonder, what in the world is wrong with you? You've got this big bruise on your leg. I will do this. I'll put my hand on the edge of the bed, and I'll walk around it like this. (laughs) Because if the hand's there, I know the leg's not. And the other thing that came to my mind about that was, uh, and this is so obvious and you know this, but we don't think about it. If you are in a completely dark place, what is missing? Color. There's no color in darkness. Think about it. Because color is reflected by light. God gives to us the color of our lives. He shows us who we are in light of ourselves by showing us the light of the world. For the righteousness, the son of righteousness will rise with healing wings, the scripture teaches. Malachi may have learned this from Isaiah. The wings represent the rays of the sun that bathe the earth with light. In the Near East, it was common to speak of the sun's rays as the wings of a bird. The healing that comes will be complete, emotional, spiritual, and physical. It will also be permanent, for the Lord will destroy death forever and wipe away tears from our faces. But that's not to mention the joy That Malachi speaks of in verse 2 of chapter 4. Son of righteousness points to a figure. The son of God who represents God's righteousness. That righteousness will flood the lives of God's people. Like the sun floods the earth with its light. He came in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. That those who sit in darkness might have light. Healing will come by his atonement. For we are healed by his wounds. When the Apostle Paul traveled the Damascus Road, such a bright light shined on him that it knocked him down. He later wrote, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Joy comes in knowing the light. And Malachi, in some sense, was pointing to that light. Be patient. Hold fast. Trust God. And you will be saved, he's saying. Verse 6 speaks of a family closeness on that day. The message of Elijah to come would turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Fathers likely refers to the godly ancestors of the Israelites and children as Malachi's contemporaries. God had once used Elijah to turn people back to God. The new Elijah, John the Baptist, would do the same before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. What was the message of Malachi? Repent. What was the message of John the Baptist? Repent. And prepare for the Lord. And then he speaks of a curse. Therefore avoid the curse by turning to God. God was about to close out prophecy for the next four centuries. Four centuries. Until John the Baptist came along. But it would be enough for the people to remember the instruction of Moses. A father whose child is about to break a rule might say to him, Remember what I said. He would mean to remember, wouldn't he? And to follow. 
To remember included not only bringing to mind by but also carrying out. After Malachi, the people no longer had the prophets, but they had the scriptures of the old covenant. Since God was as good as His word, they had enough to stay in close communion with Him. Remember what I said. Isn't that communion? Remember what I said. I came to die for you. I came so that you could have life and your responsibility is to repent. On Friday, Courtney talked me into doing something that intimidates me. I don't mind standing up and talking to you every Sunday. Any adults anywhere, doesn't scare me at all. But you put me in a room full of seven-year-olds and it'll scare me to death. Because unlike you, for the most part, they're very unpredictable. And you never know what they're going to say or what they're going to do. Well, last week was Dr. Seuss's birthday. Did you know that? You know, everybody's been reading. So I read to Courtney's second graders, The Cat in the Hat. Now, every child in that room had heard The Cat in the Hat probably 15 or 20 times at 7 years old. Maybe more than that. I hadn't read the classic in years. So when I get there, Janet said, Courtney says, it wasn't Janet. Janet teaches fifth graders. Courtney said, you can go sit in my chair. I was glad to oblige. Then she said, do you want them all to come up on the carpet and you sit in the chair or do you want them to stay in their seats? I said, keep them in their seats. <laughs> I'll stand on the carpet and read. And so I started reading. And I read each page, and I would show pictures, and, uh, the, you know, it rhymes. It's not that hard to do. And the children sat there as intently as if they had never heard the story before. Oh, some would ask questions that were far-fetched and way out there, and I ignored them. <laughs> the first question that was asked to me is, what do you do for a living? So I told them. But the thing that impressed me the most was that in the midst of all that, a guest had come in and read a book that was very familiar to them and they did not misbehave at all. They listened as if they had never heard it before. That's the way we need to hear the word. Remember. Sometimes I think we grow, grow calloused and indifferent to the word because we hear it so much and we fail to recognize its power. Malachi knew these people needed to hear. He knew what they needed to hear. And he delivered the word. Since God was as good as His Word, they had enough to stay in close communion with Him. Malachi in the Old Testament end on a somber note. The Lord said, if people failed to respond to Elijah's call, I will come and strike the land with the curse. The word curse is shirim in Hebrew. Shirim applied to objects that the Lord commanded to be destroyed completely because of their unholy character. 
Sherem describes the goods devoted to destruction during the conquest of the promised land. God told Israel to be holy as He is holy. Israel was to possess the holy land, but was not to allow the unholy elements to possess them. If Israel became Canaan at heart, then it would become Canaan in fate. And the same can happen to us. Do not be overcome by the culture and the rhetoric of the culture and the demands of the culture. Always be counterculture in your relationship with Christ. Christ calls us to be more than the sum of what we can be in a culture. He calls us to life and light. Did the people's hearts turn back to the faith of their fathers? Although many turned in repentance, no evidence exists that a majority of the people turned to the Lord. Was the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 the result of the curse because most Israelites had not turned back to God? If so, an even larger question remains. What if people in our day do not turn to God? His call to repentance, you see, continues. The stakes are high. The choice remains. Will we be God's special possession or will we be stricken by curse? London businessman Lindsay Clegg told the story of a warehouse property he was selling. The building had been empty for months and needed repairs. Vandals had damaged the doors, smashed the windows, and strewn trash all over the place. As he showed a prospective buyer the property, he took pains to say that he would replace the broken windows, bring in a crew to correct any structural damage, and clean out the garbage. The buyer said, forget about the repairs. When I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different. I want the building. I don't want the building. I want the site. That's God's message to us. Compared with the renovation God has in mind, our efforts to improve our own lives are as trivial as sweeping a warehouse slated for the wrecking ball. When we become God's, the old life is over. He makes all things new. All He wants is the sight and the permission to build. There are still some trying to reform, but God offers redemption. All we have to do is give him the property. Give him us. And he will do the necessary building. A footnote to my trip to George Watkins Elementary. Being the connoisseur of good taste that I am, I said, well, I'm this far down the road. I'll go on down to Pierce's Barbecue in Williamsburg and have a barbecue. So I drove down there. The place was crowded, always is, but the place was crowded and there were four seats along the um, bar area that they have, just, you know, four seats and facing, you were facing a mirror, so it's kind of like I ate with myself, you know. Uh, So I struck up a conversation with the people beside me. You know, I'm shy that way. And I said, well, we'll just be friends. So we talked. And as I left, and other people were coming in, and because I'm by myself, I'll talk to anybody, you know. I 
My children used to get so embarrassed by that, but there's no embarrassment anymore because I'm by myself. And as I was going out, I looked at my pants and I had barbecue sauce on them. And the comment I made as I walked by this couple coming in, well, you know it's good when you got it on your clothes. (laughs) They laughed and agreed. God wants us to get him on our clothes. He wants us to be a light that other people can see that makes a difference in their lives. God still challenges his people to test him. Thus to find his rich supply of blessings. Despite the actions and attitudes of many, some people still have a high regard for God and will receive his reward. God's faithful followers can look forward with joy to the day of the Lord. For behold, the day is coming. Burning like an oven and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. The message is clear. The message is transparent. The message calls to us. Can you hear? Shall we pray? Oh Lord, your servant Malachi has shown us the power of your word. And he calls to us to come before you in repentance so that we can walk with you. Thank you for the gift of this prophecy and for how it can touch and has touched our lives over these past few weeks. May we apply its principles to our lives so that we can be a reflection of the light of Jesus Christ in a world in need of a Savior. Have your way with us as we seek to serve you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our hymn of invitation is 294, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. The Lord can have His way in our lives if we trust Him. Malachi is about trust. Do you trust the Lord to do what He says He will do? Will you stand as we sing?
It's always a joy to come together in the house of the Lord to serve Him. I have enjoyed the study of Malachi immensely. I hope you have. I hope in some ways we've done it justice. Uh, it's grateful. I'm grateful that we have the Word to share with one another. This is Benevolent Sunday. Remember in the January business meeting we voted to give half of our benevolence offering each month up to $300 to um, MSEF. Uh, Mechanicsville Church's emergency functions to see if they can get off the ground a one-stop shop. And uh, we did receive an update on that uh, this past week in the mail. Sixteen churches have committed. They still need more commitments in order to have this to happen. But remember, any we, we are monitoring the money and we are talking to them. But any money we give to them, if it weren't to go to that, uh, there are many needs that MSEF meets. Uh, throughout the community, and it is a Mechanicsville mission, so it does not go contrary to what we do 